0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Our spring football tour continues now with Angie Machado, publisher of BeaverBlitz.com, covering Oregon State football on the 24-7 sports network. Angie joins us right now on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Angie, good morning
1: good morning how are you guys
0: good so before we get into some of the specifics about oregon state football uh do you think oregon state has moved firmly out of the bottom of the league to the middle of the league or that's a goal for the next year or two progress has been made but not there yet
1: i yeah i think i think that's the, the the progress is made and and they're moving toward that goal um i mean they're Definitely, they can compete now with anybody, um, you know, in the middle to the upper middle half. But um, as far as, you know, getting over that hump, we, we saw them get close so many times last year. They, they won a couple of those close ones. They lost a couple of those close ones. So, um, you know, getting over that hump is, is the goal this year.
2: Yeah, and they did get better. There's no question about it. I think if they would have been even better, I think your quarterback, Luton, would have got a ton of publicity. I always thought he was underrated and I was glad to see that Jacksonville picked him up in the sixth round, I think it was. And so he's gone now. What's going to be the situation at quarterback this season? Yeah,
1: you know, Oregon State um, really is you know, most likely, my my guess is going to be Tristan Jebbia. He was the four star out of Calabasas, California, signed with Nebraska when Coach Riley was there, um, and then transferred two years ago um, to Oregon State. So I really think it's Tristan Jebbia's job to lose. We saw him in the Civil War this past year when when Jake Luton couldn't go, but there is somewhat of a, of a battle. You know, I think the coaches might blow that up a little more than maybe it really has to be. But they went off in the off season and grabbed. A, one of the top JUCO quarterback, quarterbacks in the country and Chance Nolan. And then they have a freshman by the name of Ben Golbranson, who actually enrolled early. We saw him, you know, the four days of practice at Oregon State was able to get in in March. And I really liked what we saw from him. Um, pretty highly rated kid, like as a sophomore junior committed to Cal, suffered a knee injury, and Cal dropped him. So he fought his way back. And like I said, I really liked what we saw from him. But I think ideally you want to redshirt him
0: for, for the season uh, It was kind of a two-headed monster at running back with Pierce and Jefferson and, and they combined for over 1,500 yards rushing which is good and probably explains the four conference wins which had a running game you could lean on and count on but Pierce is gone now off the I think it was the Bears uh, Jefferson's back is, so is, is Jamar Jefferson the guy or will it be a two-headed monster and if so who else is coming in that can get some carries
1: yeah, I mean, Jamar Jefferson, I mean, I loved that, that duo of of uh, AP and, and Jefferson, just because they were such different running styles. But Jefferson was really hampered by some injuries last year. So we really saw a lot more of AP um, than maybe we would have, you know, ideally. So Jamar now is completely he- healthy. I see him being the guy. However, there's a guy, B.J. Baylor, who he, he wowed us last spring. So a year ago spring, he was really kind of stepping up his game. And I really see him being... Kind of that goat, that that number two guy that's going to be sharing carries. You know, Oregon State isn't looking for a guy to carry carry the load the full time. So, whereas Jamar might be the featured running back, look for B. J. Baylor um, to be right in that mix too, and, and see a lot of carries.
2: As I look at the defensive side of the ball, you know, they lost a few guys. Uh, got most of the guys, as far as I can figure out, correct me if I'm wrong, coming back. As I analyze it and look for the top players, uh, am I correct in going with Omar Spates, as inside linebacker, as being the best?
1: Uh, I, I would say he's one of, but I wouldn't um, overlook Camel Cover Rashid, who uh, led the nation in sacks and tackles for loss this past year. So um, he's back as a senior outside linebacker. Omar Spates is an inside linebacker. So um, both those guys, um, you know, the Beavers' defense will be, you know, locked down by that by that linebacking group. But Hamilka and uh, Omar are your two that you're going to be watching.
0: So I look at the scores and I see a 52-36 loss to Oklahoma State, 54-53 to Washington State. But I see a 56-38 win over Arizona and 35-34 over ASU. And 48-31 over UCA. These were all shootouts. High-scoring games, giving yeah. up a lot of points. Assuming the defense, and there's still some questions there, the quarterback's gone, two of the top three receivers are gone. Are, are we looking at a lot more high-scoring games, or is there something that's going to change on this roster that's going to prevent that, and maybe it's the passing game?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting because, yeah, we're going with, to with Jake Luton, at quarterback, and you had Isaiah Hodgins then, um, I mean, it was. They were shootouts, but um, the defense improved a ton. I mean, this was a defense two years ago that was one of the worst in the entire country in sev- like every major statistical category. So they took big strides last year, but they still were giving up way too many points. And I really hope, and, and I think Beaver fans hope that this year, under the second year coach, uh, DB coach in Blue Adams, that that secondary takes the next stride because that was really, you know, that back end is really where the Beavers have struggled the past couple, several years. So if they can take a step there, um, you know, this is a group that when you look back and you dig in, the defensive backs have had some of these players that have played five years in the system, have had five different position, position coaches. It's just been huge turnover with the coaching change and then just turnover with that defensive back coaching position. So, um, Lou Adams is in his second year um, talking to players, talking to him just this week. Just having that second year, the familiarity, these guys feel so much more confident. So I think that's really the key for Oregon State to have a, you know, to stop more teams on offense.
2: Yeah, that's a a little concerning, particularly in this conference, because I've always said, you know, and I went to ASU, I've been following the conference for years, that this conference always seems to have big-time receivers, even guys who aren't necessarily on great teams. You know, you take a look at Cooks back in the day for Oregon State. Obviously, he's been playing in the NFL for a number of years. And I can go on and on. ASU's had uh, 1st round draft picks the last couple years. And so you speak of that back end, uh, would you say that would be a weakness? Because I know they're losing a couple guys in Wilson and Moore.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I I don't want to say it's going to be better, but, um, you know, the, the guys that they have, you know, you, you look at David Morris is 100% healthy at safety. The cornerbacks, they went really heavy with the JUCO guys this, this past offseason. They signed five junior college defensive backs. Coach Adams not only played in the NFL, he coached um, several years with the Miami Dolphins. So he has a, a definite ideal of what he wants his DBs to look like especially at corner and he wanted more length that's what he did went out and got with these junior junior college players he got length and that's something I think in the Pac-12 especially that you need to to combat some of those big rangy receivers that, that play in the league so a matter of how fast those guys can get up to speed but yeah I, I just see that back end as being the key really for how this season goes for Oregon State I, you know offensively I think Whoever's the quarterback, it's a, it's a system that they're going to put up some points. They have re- they have some faster receivers this year. Um, the offensive line a little bit of a question mark just because they've lost three starters there. But um, you know, Coach Maholichek is one of the best offensive line coaches in the conference, so I, I think there's some hope there. But really, it, it the season I think goes how the defensive backs go and how that back end plays. If they can stop some teams and, and stop. The, the bleeding that some of those big high scoring games, then I think the Beavers will improve quite a lot.
0: Opening with uh, Oklahoma State on the road is that a good plan for Oregon State? Looking ahead, it looks like they've tried to schedule a little lighter in the future. Uh...
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to look back though. I mean, this is this is just the, it was a two two game home and home. So Oklahoma State. You know, came to Oregon, came to Research Stadium last year. So this is just the the back end of that. Um, so I, I, that's the scheduling strategy. You know, back in the past, Oregon State had um, an athletic director that scheduled a lot of the body bag games. Oregon State, you know, had traveled to Ohio State. They traveled to LSU. They've done the TCU um, in the Cowboy Stadium. There's been several of those big, you know, payday games. Um, but to have you know when this game was scheduled? You were thinking, you know, if you're the athletic director, you're looking. This would be Gary Anderson's fifth year in the program. So I think you're you're looking at that, thinking, okay, you know, you should have the the program going, and and it's a, a pretty good matchup against a you know mid mid to upper mid level, you know, Big Twelve team. So nobody could have ever expected Gary Anderson to you know quit on the team midway through the season. So um, back in in 2017. So that's. Unfortunate, but I think you know if Oregon State wants to get better, they're going to have to play some of the better opponents.
2: Always felt in some of these places like Corvallis. It's good to have one of your own who understands. You know, I think that you can go in the Bay Area and up in Seattle and down in L.A. and maybe even down the road a little bit in Eugene because of the enormity of the program. You could bring in an outsider, and he won't necessarily miss a beat as far as recruiting and building a program. But a place like Salt Lake and, and Corvallis needs one of their own. How important was it for them to get Smith in there, who obviously is one of their own?
1: Yeah. I, you know, it was, it was an interesting hire at the time. Cause you know, this is Jonathan Smith's first ho- uh, head coaching job. So I think there was some question about, you know, him being able to, you know, it, it's a big job, you know, you're going from an offensive coordinator in the PAC 12 to a, a head coach, but he has not missed a beat. He's hired some really good people around him that, that know, um, you know, kind of can handle that back end stuff as far as, you know, all the director of, uh, you know, chief of staff and all of that. So, um, It's been huge, you know, for him to be able to go out in the living rooms and say, you know, I've been here, we've done it. You know, Jonathan Smith was the quarterback back when Oregon State beat Notre Dame and finished fourth in the country. So um, for him to be able to give authenticity, uh, he has, you know, Trent Bray is another player who played at Oregon State as his linebacker coach. Jim Mahalachek was on Dennis Erickson's staff back uh, in that Fiesta Bowl team. So he's familiar with Corvallis. So um, to have those players... Um, and then, you know, he's surrounded himself internally with a few guys that, you know, have played at Oregon State in, in recruiting role and as far as in recruiting roles. So you have James Rogers and Mike Doctor that are helping the, the program from inside. So um, it gives it that family feel that it had lost there for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see players really responding and, and recruits responding as well.
0: You know, Oregon is just such a beast. Do they just suck up all the oxygen, you know, donors, fans? I mean, are there people going to Oregon State and alumni that go to Oregon State to root for Oregon just because they win so much? I'm wondering how much of an island Oregon State is really on when there's a big dog right down the street.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, if, if an if a Oregon State booster, it, it, it's such a huge rivalry. Um, you know, Oregon has a huge booster in Phil Knight, but, um, you know, Oregon State has very loyal Booster um no. They haven't lost Beaver fans to Oregon. In fact, it might be one of the biggest heat it hate it rivalries in, in all of, you know, the, the Northwest at least and, and probably the Pac-12 because I think you talk to Oregon State fans and Boosters and there's that um, mentality of they're doing, Oregon State's doing it as a group and uh, they don't have a, a team owner per se that's, that's just, you know, doing everything for them.
0: Nobody on the headsets, huh? (laughs)
1: Yeah. No, no. Oregon State does not have the team owner on the headset.
0: Angie, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Take care, guys.